Hey guys, I'm Clarissa, and this is the debut of Murder, Mystery, and Mayhem, finally. Hey guys and welcome to episode one of murder mystery and mayhem i'm super excited to finally be able to bring you guys episode one i do feel bad you know i know the first time that i said i was supposed to bring this podcast out um unfortunately i just had a lot to do with work and then sunday i had full intentions of giving you guys episode one um but i came down with strep throat and i became pretty sick and I actually lost my voice for one day, and then after that, it just was not feeling good, but it's fine. Here I am. Here's episode one, and with that being said, I don't want to continue to delay anything, so let's go ahead and get started. So episode one is going to be over Donald Harvey, aka the Angel of Death. So if you've never heard of the term angel of death in criminology terms, it's basically just a caregiver, somebody who was hired on to be a caregiver, um, who ends up becoming like a serial killer or a murderer. Um, so usually those are called angel of deaths or angel of mercies. A lot of times you'll hear that with like um, famous serial killer doctors. Um, but this this just so happens to be our nickname given for our case today and again this is over donald harvey so i'm going to start off with his childhood a little bit and dig into that and then we're going to move on to uh more about his murder his first murder kind of what brought him to that and then obviously him being incarcerated so just a little bit about Donald Harvey. He was born on April 15th in 1952 in Butler County, Ohio. So just right outside of Cincinnati. His mom's name was uh, Goldie Harvey and his dad's name was Ray Harvey. Uh, he grew up in Boonville, Kentucky. So when he was about two years old, his parents decided to go ahead and move him out there. Um, from what I've read and from interviews that I've seen with Donald Harvey, he claims that he had an awful childhood. Um, but his mom, on the other hand, claims that she, that he had the best childhood ever, that his mom and his dad got along so well, and it was just a nice, loving, nurturing home. And if I had to guess why she would lie about it, obviously, I'm going to say it's probably because of, you know, a lot of people will say nature versus nurture, and that's why a lot of serial killers become who they are, and people do bring the serial killer's childhoods into why they became a serial killer, you know, Ted Bundy, Ed Kemper, um, or just good examples, so... I would definitely say it's probably for that. You know, people tend to to blame it on the parents. So, but from what Donald Harvey says himself, he says that his parents were not loving, that they were abusive. There was a lot of domestic violence that happened in the home. Um, and it only got worse for him by the time that he was four. So not only, not only is he around parents that 
are just hateful to each other and are always yelling and hitting on each other. But around the age of four, his grandma started watching him and his uncle lived with his grandma. And you might think that that doesn't sound too bad. um, Besides the fact that unfortunately for poor Donald, when he was four years old, his uncle started to molest him when he would go to his grandma's house. And I'm not going to get into any kind of details. So, you know, it is a little a little bit of a graphic warning if you don't like to hear about that kind of stuff. And I'm not going to get into any crazy details. But basically, you know, it just started off as like touching and then he eventually got worse from there. Um, and he scared Donald into thinking that he would kill his parents. He told Donald, I will kill your parents if you tell anybody And then I don't care to go to jail and you'll just end up in an orphanage. So Donald was convinced that he could never, ever, ever tell anybody. And then as he got a little bit older, you know, he was a loner. He wasn't, he, he was kind of an outsider. He always really stuck to himself. So by the, by the time the ninth grade comes, Donald's like, I'm done. I don't want to go to school anymore. I'm made fun of. I'm a loner. He basically said that he was too smart. He he was like, you know, imagine having all these ideas and being so smart and getting straight A's and having to go to school where I'm smarter than everybody. And so he ended up dropping out and eventually he did get his diploma. But um, in the ninth grade, he decided to drop out. And then by the time he was about 10, Um, So we're going back a little bit. So when he was about 10 years old, he uh, was being molested again um, by his neighbor. So when he he wasn't going to his grandma's house and he was at home, his parents weren't doing a very good job of watching him. And his neighbor had invited him over. And unfortunately, I couldn't find any name on his neighbor. But his neighbor would invite him over to play, quote unquote. And he started to molest Donald Again, just kind of like his uncle started off very small, and then as time grew on, it gradually became bigger and bigger. And by the time, you know, Donald's in ninth grade, he drops out. And then by the time Donald is 18 years old, he is just kind of over everything. At this point, his neighbor has been paying him um, for the, to keep up the whole molestation and so at this point Donald is basically prostituting himself even though he knows deep down inside what his neighbor has been doing all these years is completely wrong he said that he was basically in interviews he basically said he was okay with it because he was getting paid and at this point with Donald being 18 his his uncle is also still molesting him so he's basically prostituting himself to his uncle And he's being molested by his uncle still at the age of 18. And nobody knows about anything. He's kept it a secret since he was four years old. Four years old. So at 18 years old, Donald's like, I cannot continue to do this. And everybody wonders why Donald decided to come back to Cincinnati. They're like, I don't know why he decided to go back to Cincinnati. But let's be honest, he had a lot going on at home and he probably just did not want to be around it anymore. So Donald moves back to Cincinnati uh, where he gets a factory job and 
he ends up becoming, you know, really close with this roommate that he has. And he really looks up to this roommate. And him and his roommate become, like, best friends. And Donald loves his factory job. He's working a lot. He's working full-time hours. And unfortunately, things start to go around things start to go downhill around this time for Donald. You know, unfortunately for this guy seems to be one thing after another. So things start to go downhill and he starts to lose out on hours at the factory job. So he's spending more and more time at home and it gets to the point where eventually he's laid off. So he's doing nothing but spending time at home and drinking because he is depressed. And again, let me remind you that he looks up to his roommate more than anything. And his roommate was only a couple years older than him. He was about 22. So he's super close to this roommate, and unfortunately, one night when they were drinking, the roommate took complete advantage of Donald, and he ends up raping him. So at this point, Donald is distraught, he's upset, and he's on the phone with his mom one night, and his mom's like, you know what, you should come home. Your uncle, he's in Marymount Hospital in London, Kentucky, and you should just come home and visit. So he goes to Marymount, Kentucky um where he goes to see his uncle and while he's at this hospital he becomes really close with a lot of the people that work there the nuns the nurses the doctors he becomes a very trusted person that you know comes in visits his uncle he helps take care of his uncle when he's there he helps the workers when he's there and so eventually he gains over the trust of these people And the nuns end up offering him a job. And Donald, of course, accepts. And so when they offer him this job, they offer him um, a job as an orderly. And if you don't know what an orderly is, I looked it up. I Googled it. An orderly is basically what I would look at as like a modern day PCA or STNA. But he was able to do a little bit more. He was able to like pass out medications and insert IVs and insert catheters. So he definitely was able to do a lot more than what like the modern day PCA or STNA could do. Um, But he had the job as an orderly. And so this was in May of um, 1970 is about when he got this job. So within a few weeks of him being there, Donald... Sorry that something something fell. Forgive me. So within a few weeks of him being there, um, Donald commits his first kill. And his first kill is 88-year-old Logan Evans. He's an incontinent stroke patient. And how this happened is the family members leaving the room and they're basically like, you know what? They're like, they go up to Donald and they're like, hey, um, my unfortunately, you know, my my family member, he had an accident. Is there any way you can help help get him cleaned up before, you know, I leave? And he's like, yeah, yeah, go ahead. You know, I'll take care of it. Don't you worry about it. So the family member's like, okay, great. And they, they go home thinking nothing of it. So Donald goes in there. And then when he walks into the room, he finds 88-year-old Logan Evans lying there. And he lifts up the blanket. And underneath of the blanket, he sees that poor Logan is just laying in stool from like head to toe and so Donald goes to start getting him cleaned up and Logan grabs his arm Donald's arm wipes feces on Donald's face more on his arm and this just sends this just sends Donald over the edge so you know I think this has a lot to do with the 
with just feeling his breaking point. You know, he's never had any control. He was molested his whole life. He ends up getting raped by somebody that he really trusted. You know, he really trusted the his roommate, a man. He really trusted him and raped him right before he left Cincinnati. And now he's back in Kentucky. And I think that he, he just liked the control that he felt um, when he ends up killing Mr. Evans. So he completely loses control, has a, has a minty B, has a mental breakdown, and he takes Mr. Evans' pillow and he smothers him. Um, like I said, Harvey loved the feeling of being in control over innocent people who counted on him. Um, and that's what started his 13 kill streak while he was at Marymount Hospital. He was there for about a span of 10 months. And then on March 27th, 1971, um, Donald decided to resign from his position after he ended up killing 81-year-old Ben Gilbert with a coat hanger through his catheter. So 81-year-old Ben Gilbert um, was pretty well with it. You know, he did have a feeding tube and stuff, and he, he couldn't actually speak for himself. He could barely talk. But... Donald Harvey had already tried to kill him, and so he was screaming, doing the best that he could, saying, he's trying to kill me, he's trying to kill me, and he ended up taking a metal urinal and hitting Donald upside the head with it, and Donald said that he knocked him out, but from anything that I've read, there's no actual thing that says that he was knocked out. It could have just been something that Donald said to justify, you know, killing Ben Gilbert, or he could have, again, I don't know why he would want to justify it. He's also said, he's also said that he, you know, just went off the deep end. And there's other times where he's like, I did it for his health. I did it. I did it to help him. So he could have just been doing it to try to justify him, justify himself. So later that night, the hospital puts Donald Harvey back on Ben Gilbert's care. And Donald goes in there. And while Ben Gilbert is sleeping, he punctures his bladder with a coat hanger through the catheter. So that's when Donald decides to resign from that position because he couldn't handle the pressure anymore. He was having a full-on minty B at this point, could not handle the pressure. So he went to the bar, he got real drunk, and he robbed his apartment building. Uh, he basically was just robbing because he was pretty close with some of the people that lived there. So he basically was just robbing, you know, empty apartment buildings where he knew people were gone for the night or were gone for a while. Um, and he ends up getting arrested for burglary. And while they're questioning him, he's still super intoxicated and he admits to killing 15 people. And they're like, OK, Donald, um, we're wondering why you burglarized your apartment. And he's like. Hi, yes, hello, my name is Donald Harvey, and I killed 15 people. And they're like, that wasn't the question. And so they think that he's just super intoxicated and that there's a 0% possibility that this happened. And they said that they, quote, unquote, would look into it. And boy, oh boy, do they wish that they would have probably definitely looked into it because they could have caught a major serial killer before he went off the deep end. So when he goes to court for this burglary charge, the judge tells Donald that he needs to go to therapy. Uh, but Donald decided he was going to take that as a suggestion. And, you know, because it wasn't court ordered. So he's like, you know what? 
I'm going to take that as a suggestion. And instead, I'm going to do you one better. And I'm going to enlist in the Air Force instead. So on June 16th, he enlisted in the Air Force and he completed basic training. But he only ended up lasting about nine months in the Air Force. He ended up being discharged um, for his burglary charge. And I do want to mention he was honorably discharged for his burglary charge. And I don't know how they didn't know about it when he applied to be in the Air Force. But somehow they didn't. So I don't know if it was hearsay, you know, through um, the people, through his, like, camp or whatever they call that or what the case may be but they ended up finding out and they honorably discharge him so once Donald gets home he's super depressed he has all of this pressure on him from his past killings and he ends up bouncing around from job to job and while he's bouncing around from job to job he also is in and out of VA hospitals for multiple suicidal attempts that were unsuccessful I was going to say unfortunately unsuccessful, but I guess, you know, that's, that's mean, I guess. And, you know, whatever. So anyway, so he's in and out of VA hospitals for various treatments and his suicidal attempts, but ultimately nothing helped, unfortunately. Um, He didn't end up killing anybody during that time. So, you know, at this point, it's been about four to five years and he hasn't killed anybody. He somehow has suppressed that. And I don't know if it's because of the pressure or, you know, nothing like bad has happened to him that has sent him over the deep end like the first time. But he has he refrained himself somehow from killing anybody. His first job back in the medical field was on February of 1973. It was at Cardinal Hill Hospital and that was part time. And then he also worked at Good Samaritan Hospital part time as a nurse aide. And then that was kind of during that four to five year period where he ended up not killing anybody. He ended up starting, um, he ended up moving back. So he ended up leaving Kentucky and he ended up moving back to Cincinnati. And he started working at the VA hospital uh, where he started basically um, to his old ways again. His first kill after his five year break was at the VA. It was Mr. Joseph Harris. He killed him by lowering Joseph's oxygen where he eventually died. So that seemed to be something that he ended up doing a lot at Marymount Hospital as well. That was one of his famous things was either like smothering with a pillow or the lowering the oxygen or he just wouldn't put the oxygen back on them. So that was like his famous way of killing people at Marymount Hospital. And you'll learn later that he ends up using like poisons and ends up poisoning people, and that's eventually how he's caught. So Harvey, again, felt that rush of killing people, and he loved the feeling of having control again. So he continued to kill people, and then eventually he became confident enough to be able to do it outside of the hospital. He's like, okay, I... I started, he started using like cyanide and arsenic, and he's like, I can get away with this outside of the hospital. So his first victim outside of the VA was his current lover at the time. His name was Doug Hill, and he decided to harm Doug after just a simple argument that they had. So basically, 
the simple argument, I'm not sure if this is exactly it, but from what I read in articles and stuff from Donald, he wouldn't say what it was, but he made it seem like it was very minuscule. So it would be like if Cody and I got into an argument because he lost the TV remote for like the hundredth time. And I was like, you know what? I'm not going to kill you, but I think I'm going to use cyanide and just like poison you real good and make you suffer because like why wouldn't I want to make my lovers suffer at my own hand, you know? So that's basically what Donald Harvey did. He said, you know what? Minuscule argument equals I'm going to poison you and make you suffer. So he slipped some arsenic into Doug's ice cream. And like I said, although he did not die, he did become very, very, very sick. So him and Doug end up actually splitting up. Surprise, surprise. And then that's when he meets Carl Holweller uh, pretty soon after. Carl was his lover of about six years, and during that time, Carl and Donald Harvey went through a lot. So at this point, Donald is still at the VA. He's still there, and he's going to be there during this whole time. He's there for about 10 years. And him and Carl are together for a pretty long time before he realizes that Carl is cheating on him. And so every Monday, Carl is going to meet a new guy, basically, and he finds out that Carl's cheating on him. So he's like, you know what? I'm going to ruin your whole life. So he starts poisoning Carl, and not only does he start poisoning Carl due to jealousy and rage, he also starts poisoning his dad and his mom. So Donald didn't, Donald wanted to kill Carl's mom and dad, but unfortunately, well, fortunately for, you know, that, for his mom, um, but unfortunately for Donald, he was unsuccessful with killing his mom. She ended up becoming very, very ill, but she never actually died, thank God. Unfortunately for Carl's dad, Henry Hoeller, however, he did end up passing away in the hospital after poisoning his drinks with arsenic. And he also ended up killing their neighbor in a fit of rage and jealousy as well, just because the neighbor was trying to tell Carl, like, hey, man, I don't think that Donald is any good for you, and I think that you should leave him. And then to add on to that, you know, because at this point he's having another minty bee, you know, you you will learn that Donald has lots of minty bees that just, like, sends him over the edge. So now he's in the middle of this full minty bee. He is poisoning Carl's drinks to make sure that, and food to make sure that he can't leave the house. And he literally said it so that he could make sure that Carl Hoeller would leave his penis in his pants. And then Carl also had this best friend named Diane. And Donald has said some real, real, real mean things about her, like a a name that I just cannot even begin to say because it's just not in my dictionary. I think it's very, um, I don't even know the right word for it. It's just not, it's, it's like saying, um, it's almost like saying the N word and I just, I just can't do it. So Diane though, he, she was one of, um, Carl's best friends as well and she was one of the people that were kind of like hey man I don't think something's right with Donald like 
you're very sick all the time, your mom is sick, you know, your neighbor died, your dad died, and although no autopsies are being done, still to this day, like, something just doesn't feel right. And you know what? Donald didn't like that. Donald didn't like feeling like he was being double-crossed. He didn't like that. So he said, you know what? I feel jealous and threatened by her, and I, but I don't want to kill her. I want to treat her like one of my lovers, and I only want to make her suffer. And so what he decided to do was he wanted to, like, actually torture this poor lady. He ended up stealing some hepatitis serum out of the hospital, and he put it into Diane's drink when she was over one day visiting Carl. And then Harvey also and try, also tried to infect her when that didn't, like, because they ended up catching him while she was in the hospital. And so after that, he's like, I made her really sick, and I tortured her, and now I want to kill her. And so he also tried to infect her with HIV serum, um, and f- but fortunately, this was an unsuccessful s- attempt on Harvey's part, and what how whatever drink he put it in, she ended up not drinking it. So that was a win. And so you know, at this point, they are Carl and Carl and Donald are no more. They. Eventually, Carl's like, you know what? I'm done. I'm not doing this with you anymore. And Carl ended up living a really happy life. And he ended up dying at the age of um, 74, I believe, if I'm correct. I would have to look that up to be exact. But I'm pretty sure it was at the age of 74. And he ended up dying in Cincinnati, where he was living still. And so he ended up living, you know, a pretty happy life after he got away from Donald. And then, so, you know, at this point, he has been at the VA during this whole time. He's been at the VA for 10 years, and him and Carl are broken up, and he is just, at this point, having a full-blown, like, he can't handle the pressure. And so, he's still at the VA hospital, and at this point, he's a nurse's aide. He's a, um, autopsy tech, and he was doing, like, respiratory therapy. I couldn't think of the word for autopsy tech. I'm sorry. I was losing my mind. So at this point, he's a nurse's aide, an autopsy tech, and a respiratory therapist. And he's they've kind of trained him to do everything while he's been there because he's been there for so long. In 1985, while he was still at the VA, Harvey got caught by VA security guards with a 38 round caliber gun because he was acting really weird. So they ended up like pulling them to the side and they're like hey man what's in that big old bag why are you acting weird so in this bag he had a 38 caliber gun hospital supplies a liver sample which he chalked that up to being you know an autopsy tech and he had an occult book and then because the security guards had technically no reason to really search harvey technically i mean he was acting weird but they didn't have a reason to really search him so they basically told him that he was good to go And they just decided that he had to put in his resignation at the VA hospital. And since he resigned at the VA hospital when he went to go get a job at Daniel Drink Memorial Hospital in February of 1986, they didn't see that why he resigned and for what reason he resigned for because it was never put on his record because he wasn't fired. 
So at this point, it's February of 1986. You know, it's been almost a year since he left the VA. He now has another medical job. And he is a nurse's aide now at Daniel Drink Memorial Hospital. And within weeks of him, within six weeks of him being there, Donald is still at his breaking point and he's ready to strike again. And he made his first kill. Um, and it was Nathini J. Watson. And he was a 65-year-old semi-comatose patient. Uh, Nathini was being fed through a feeding tube. And because he was struggling, you know, Donald just decided that that gave him the right to kill him. You know, he gave, that gave Donald the right to kill him because he wasn't breathing on his own and he had a feeding tube and couldn't feed himself. So that means he should die. Donald was doing him a favor. And so Donald took a wet plastic garbage can liner and he shoved it into Nathini's nose and mouth. Yes, he is getting crazy at this point he's still doing the oxygen the cyanide the arsenic and now we we are doing um wet plastic garbage can liners so i i love that for donald during the during a span of about five months while harvey was at the uh daniel drake he ended up killing about seven people and of course it was it was with no remorse and of those seven people an autopsy wasn't performed on six out of the seven cases. And I'm guessing they just didn't find anything on that one case. But on six out of seven, there was no autopsy done. None. Zero. And so at this point, Harvey feels like he's on top of the world. He's like, here I am. I am getting away with everything. Don't mind me. I'm on top of the world. I'm in control. And heck with anybody who ever crossed me in the past. I'm the biggest, strongest, happy, best man there is now. So at this point, Harvey's, you know, he's getting a little ballsy. He's think He thinks that he's really grown a pair now. And he's like, I'm going to kill two people in one day. Okay. I'm going to get it done. I'm going to kill two people in one day. Since I'm invincible, which he's not. But he thinks he is. And this is kind of where things go wrong for Donald Harvey. So he gets so arrogant that his first kill is Hilda Lates, who he ended up dissolving adhesive remover into her orange juice, and she ended up dying within a few days. And of course, no autopsy was done, because why would there be? We don't do autopsies in the 80s or the 70s, just so you know. And then in the same day, though, he's like, you know what? Here I am. I've got big old balls now. And I'm going to poison one more person. And this will end up being the last person that Donald Harvey ever poisons. Um, his last person, the last person he ever poisoned was John Powell. And keep in mind, this is, again, the same day that he killed Hilda. So John Powell was a coma patient who had been in a motorcycle accident. Um, he was in a coma for a few months before he was sent to Drake. And this, again, this was after being in a motorcycle accident. So he was sent to Drake because he was doing a lot better. Um, John was starting to improve when he suddenly died. 
Um, obviously, the doctors were baffled because they expected him to recover. So they ended up finally doing an autopsy. Like, this is where things finally take a turn for the worse for Donald. Um, but a, a good thing for, you know, justice for all of the people that he killed and justice for John Powell, who he killed that day. So... On March 8th, 1987, Dr. Lee Lehman performed the autopsy, and when he opened up John Powell's body, he ended up smelling like a scent of bitter almonds. And, you know, I've watched a lot of crime shows, and I've watched, I've listened to a lot of pro- crime pod- true crime podcasts in my time. So as soon as they said that they smelled the bitter taste, the, or the bitter almonds, I was like, oh, that would be cyanide. So, like they said, like I was just saying, they basically said that the bitter scent of almonds is a telltale sign of cyanide. So, he ends up taking some samples and he sends it to the lab. And when the labs come back, it was verified that cyanide was in Powell's remains. And he obviously didn't die of natural causes. So, when this happens, you know, shit's about to go down. Shit is about to go down, right? Or not, Harvey is obviously in trouble. You know, he obviously killed Pal. So first they look into the family. The police, when they start to investigate, look into the family. Obviously, you know, who was closest to Pal. Obviously look into the wife, his kids. Would they get anything out of it? Why would they want to kill him after, you know, he was starting to improve? Wouldn't they want to kill him when he wasn't doing good? So on and so forth. And when they realize that the family has no possible motive, that's when they move on to the employees. And luckily for the police, it ended up being a pretty easy investigation for them because they realized that the list is pretty short on who had access to John Powell that night. There wasn't many people. And of course, Donald Harvey was on that list of people who had access to him as a caregiver. So they start looking into everybody. And something weird starts to pop up about Donald. A weird nickname from all of his peers. And that nickname is a kiss of death. And they're like, oh man, I wonder why that is. And so they start talking to, obviously, his peers and his team members and, you know, people people that he works with. And they're, like, scratching their heads. And they're, like, why do you guys call him that? Hit me up. Let me know. And they're, like, oh, well, it's just really weird that you asked that. <coughs> Sorry, excuse me. It's really weird that you asked that because he just so happens to be around every time there's a death. Weird coincidence? I think not. So that's when they start to look into Donald Harvey. They're like, okay, let's look into Donald. And when they look into him, they, like, bring him in for questioning, obviously. And it ends up being, they end up bringing him in for questioning, and it ends up being pretty easy getting him to say that he killed Pal. They're like, Donald Harvey. And he's like, yes, hello, my name is Donald Harvey. And they're like, did you kill John Pal? And he's like, Yes, I did kill John Powell. I shall not deny that. And so he lets everybody know that he kills John Powell. And they end up looking into other other ways of, uh, or other people that he killed. So he ended up saying that, 
He felt sorry for Powell and his family and that if he was on tubes and a respirator, he'd hope that somebody would um, end it all for him as well. And so that's when they decided that they were going to look into, you know, other people that he may have killed. And so they were like, hello, Donald Harvey. And he's like, yes, hello, my name is Donald Harvey. And they're like, did you kill other people? And he's like, yes, I did. And they're like, well, if you could give us an estimate, how many would you say you killed? And he's like, you need a number? He's like, because I have no idea. Like, he told people from what I've read and from interviews and stuff that I've watched and read. He basically was like, I have no idea. And they're like, well, can you give us, like, an estimate? Can you give us a number? Give us a number, any number. And he's like, hmm, 70. And at this point, they're stunned. Like, absolutely astonished. So they start looking into all of them. And keep in mind, he's he's in Cincinnati at this point. So they don't really look into the Kentucky murders that much. They are really only looking into the Cincinnati ones, and they're only looking into ones that they can obviously get him for, so ones where there's proof, there's evidence, things like that. And so even though he admitted to killing all these people, they end up only getting proof for about 36 of them. 37, sorry. They end up getting proof for about 37 And so, in August of 1985, Harvey pleaded guilty to over two dozen murders, and then he was given four consecutive life sentences with the possibility of parole in 2043. In 2043, Donald Harvey would have been 91 years old. And I say, would have been, because, unfortunately, you know... I'm really weird on the death penalty and um, if I feel like justice is being served that way and, you know, do I feel like killing, I just think it's a really gray area Um, and I feel like justice was taken away from all of those family members when somebody decided to execute Donald Harvey, but on March 20th, 2017, Donald Harvey was murdered at the age of 64 He had been found beaten to death in his own cell by a fellow inmate named James Elliott. He, James Elliott at the time, had been serving time for burglaries. And later on, not right away, like when he confessed to it, but later on while he was in jail, like serving time for the murder, he ended up admitting and writing a letter to the Toledo Um, police department he ended up writing a letter basically just saying that he wanted it to be sent to a news station and that he killed Donald Harvey because he grew up in Kentucky around some of the relatives that Donald Harvey killed and he had overheard Donald Harvey bragging about some of these people and the hospital that he was at and you know whatever and I guess James Elliott just didn't like that. And so he ended up being Donald Harvey's executioner. And he ended up taking Donald Harvey's life, which, you know, I guess Donald Harvey was those people's executioners. But like I said, I just don't know if justice was fully served when he ended up having his life taken. But that's the case of Donald Harvey who was a serial killer from right here in Cincinnati. 
um, I did watch a lot of, like, interviews and stuff with him from a TV show back in, like, 2008 called Mindhunters. Um, it was really interesting to listen to him talk about how he thought he was being merciful and how he was such a merciful killer and basically was saying, like, you know, nowadays, and again, this was in 2008, he was saying, you know, nowadays there's, um assisted suicide and you know this and that and they don't really need somebody's help anymore they don't need an angel of mercy or an angel of death because they have those things now but back in the day they didn't have that so I was doing them a favor and you know the interviewer is basically like okay but weren't not all of them merciful didn't you try to kill your significant others your lovers didn't you kill people because they smeared feces on you like weren't there deaths that weren't because they were suffering you felt like and he basically said yes but then followed it up with it was their fault like it was the hospital's fault that they gave him um access to the guy that hit him with the urinal um it was the hospital's fault that they gave him access to john powell like basically it was just always somebody always somebody else's fault and he never wanted to own up to it which i feel like is you know a basic serial killer thing it's never their fault um so let me know how you guys feel about this one you know was it his childhood did that play a huge role in who he grew up to be? You know, the molesting, the rapes, the cheating from people that he trusted, you know, were those reasons why he was who he was? Or was Donald Harvey just born to be a serial killer? In the interview I watched, he said no, that he doesn't feel like people are born that way, that he feels like it's their childhood. But does that make me think that maybe it's not and that he is just a psychopath and to leave you guys on one more thing that I just thought about from that interview they were talking about telltale signs of a serial killer and he said you know one time I heard a cat and you know it's whatever and he's like oh wait there was one more time and all I did was I took the two cows from my neighbor's pastor and I took them into the woods and I slit both their throats but that's all and the interviewer from Mindhunters is like, oh, that's all? And he's like, yeah, that's all. And so I'm just going to leave you on that note on how you feel about Donald Harvey and the crazy things that he did. And I can't wait for episode two. Episode one, I wanted to do something that was close to home, you know, where I'm from. But episode two, I think I'm going to get into my one of my favorite cases and it's Unsolved. So sometimes unsolved actually drive me crazy, but there was actually an update to the case in 2021, and although it hasn't been solved yet, it seems like it's getting closer. So in episode two, I want to bring you guys that case, and um, it's like I said, it's my favorite true crime case personally. So I'm super excited to see where murder, mystery, and mayhem goes. And thank you for listening to episode one and being so patient with me. And I will see you guys in episode two. Bye.